well, well, well. Hello out there to one and all. It's me, your old friend, Winnie the Pooh. And, you know, I was just walking through the Hundred Acre Wood the other day, and I ran into my very good friend, and he told me all about the podcast coming up. It's amazing. And I said to him, Rick, you must tell me more. Well, don't be ridiculous, Pooh. It's a very special one on account of because it's all about me. And I think that you should let Pooh Bear in on it too, dear Rickster, on account of because he's a pretty good bouncer. Not as good as a Tigger, but you get the idea. Oh, well, thank you for that lovely endorsement, Tigger. <laughs> but, Rick, please, I just hope that everybody loves this episode. The episode of Toys Were Us, and it's going to be very special, because you see, it's all about me. <laughs> Stay just as sweet as honey forever. There are a lot of things in life you can be, but I think that a lot of us should aim to be more like a tubby little cubby all stuffed with fluff. This is the story of Winnie the Pooh. This is Toys Were Us. All of my best friends are toys, oh boy, all of my best friends are toys, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, all of my best friends are toys, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Patty Ruxpin and the Worms, we got filled nice so we can learn, and if I Hello, and thank you for bouncing on back to the Toys R Us podcast, your weekly trip to the Hundred Acre Woods of your past. My name is Richard Hunt, and with me once again is the piglet to my poo, Heather. Did you just call me a pig? Yeah, I called you a pig. (laughs) God. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Karen. Come on, it was funny. Uh Did you just call me a pig? The well, audacity. I mean, you, you, kind of, you did a little bit. You did. I love Piglet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do. I do. <laughs> I love Piglet for, you know what, being a strong challenger of gender norms. Yeah, what the fuck is Piglet? <laughs> Piglet is a boy. That's what I thought. So Piglet is like... the Piglet is the definition of just non-toxic masculinity. Oh, yeah. Right? Definitely not. Definitely Pig- no Piglet's, toxicity Piglet's there. got some feelings. He's gonna let you know. And he's gonna let yeah. you know that it's okay to have those feelings. Yeah. So good on you, Piglet. We stand Piglet. Yeah, we do. Um, This week's episode is very special to me because I fucking love Winnie the Pooh. Who doesn't? Like... How could when, you not? When I was little... The, the three main stuffed animals I brought with me everywhere were Winnie the Pooh, the Snuggle Bear from Snuggle Fabric Softener, 
Yeah, I know. And Gizmo. <laughs> Just like a little tiny Gizmo. And they went everywhere with me. Oh. Like. I... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say something, but I'm not. Go ahead. What? No, what were you going to say? You already know this, but I still sleep with a gizmo now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's something like, I don't know, it's like that safety blanket, you know? Yeah, I mean, especially now, at this time, when everything is super high anxiety, do yeah. whatever you have to. Like, yeah. fuck, take your gizmo with you to the grocery store. Fuck it. I mean, we got fucking murder hornets now, you know? Like... <laughs> Yeah, everything, nothing makes sense. The world is on fire. We sleep with stuffed animals. Nazis are back. We got murder hornets. <laughs> Donald Trump is president. So yeah. holding holding a gizmo, gizmo as you sleep. A gizmo. Least, a, <laughs> holding a gizmo. Hey, gizmo, get in there. <laughs> uh. This is my brother, gizmo. <laughs> He uh, touched my spaghetti. Uh, that's a little bit leftover, Chef Boyardee. Yep. Hey, Thor, get in here. Get some <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You don't don't feed a gizmo, Chef Boyardee, after midnight. <laughs> <laughs> yep. God. Um. There's a fucking uh, so so much. To be said about Winnie the Pooh, that this is gonna have to be a two-part episode. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even. I, I'm like not even halfway done, and the script is 16 pages. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh bother. Oh bother. <laughs> oh Christ! All right. That being said, let's fucking get in. Let's go. We start our story on January 18th, 1882. In Kilburn, London, where we meet up with a very happy couple, schoolmaster John v- John Vine Milne, originally of Jamaica, and his wife Sarah Marie Higginbottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, these two were happy because they just brought into the world their third bundle of joy. Alan Alexander Milne. Uh, he was the youngest son. To David Barrett Milne and Kenneth John Milne. Uh, growing up, their father, who was a renowned schoolmaster, read to his sons, encouraging a love of reading into their growing minds. Which is good, you know? Yeah. Because it, it's, it's better than, like... I've been watching a lot of SVU lately. <laughs> and you Great see a lot, a lot of dads that are, like, the most. They're like, my kid's not growing up like that. Oh like, yeah. Uh, okay, dude, we get it. You you were a failed high school football player. If high school was your prime years, I feel bad for you, son. Imagine that. Imagine. Yeesh. Oof. I could not name one football player now that was no. in my high school. I could not tell you the name of one football player. No. <laughs> so yeah, bad news. I can tell you a football player coach because he was fucking awesome. There was a fight once down, like, we had two gyms. We had, like, a gym for freshmen and sophomores and then a gym for juniors and seniors, right? Mm-hmm. One time there was a fight by the uh, smaller gym, and 
one of these kids swung on the teacher, and just out of, like, pure instinct, he fucking put them in a chokehold and slammed yeah. them into the trophy case. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it's like, you could tell for a minute he, he, he forgot that he was a teacher and that these were teenagers. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what are you going to do? Instinct is going to take over, and then if someone's attacking you, yeah, you're going to react... Yeah, it's fight it's, or flight, you, and he chose a yeah, uh, trophy case. <laughs> right. That's pretty it's pretty badass. Yeah, it is pretty fucking badass. Um, so, their father was a lot softer. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna fucking read to you kids every night. You're gonna love reading. Reading is absolutely fundamental. Mm-hmm. That's why the word fun isn't fundamental. Because right. reading is fun. Okay. Reading is not fun. No, it is. Are you going to roast me? Never. Okay, that's what I fucking thought. A.A. Uh, a. Milne attended Henley House, which was uh, the school that his father ran. There, he sat under the teaching of another famous author, fucking H.G. Wells. Oh, wow. I know. There's a lot of, like, weird uh, intertwining in the story that you'll see but imagine like the powerhouses that came out of that fucking school seriously um while growing up alan was closer to his father than his mother his closest family relationship however was with his brother ken alan and ken remained best friends until ken died of tuberculosis in 1929 in contrast Mm -hmm. alan and his brother barry were not close in adulthood, Alan became increasingly alienated from Barry, uh, and in spite of the distance between Alan and Barry, Alan was a very kind and supportive friend to Barry's wife, Connie. Which, <laughs> I don't know. Seems kind of fucking weird. A little bit. A very kind and supportive friend. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Mm-mm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's like, listen, I know that... Uh, my brother and I hate each other's guts, but I'm going to be your best friend. Um, maybe not. Yeah, something seems fucking off there. A little bit. In 1894, Alan Milne, then 12 years old, was already a mathematician of considerable promise. And, let's see, he received a report at Westminster School saying he had done ill, showing little or no ambition. <laughs> Which is like okay, a lot of a lot of these stories where someone goes to create like an empire starts off with them getting shit talked by their teachers. That's very true. Because you'll see these teachers like, I can't believe you failed this test. You fucking suck at life. You're like what? <laughs> Half the shit you learn in high school you don't fucking take with you anyway. No, I don't remember anything I learned. I learned nothing. <laughs> you learn who to stay away from. That's oh, that's very true. Right? You're like, okay. Uh... Actually, fuck all of you. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to like maybe ten people I went to high school with. Oh my god, that's a lot. I talked to no one. I One person. <laughs> I talked to one person I went to huh. high school with. But it's one. good people. They're... they're, they're... I don't just keep shit bags around to have them on my friends list. Right. 
But ten is a lot. You're lucky, I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Now that I think about it. Like, I have a couple people, like, lying around that are cool, but I don't yeah. talk to them. Do you know what okay. I mean? Like, yeah, they're okay, yeah. but I, I haven't actually spoken to them in years. And then you get these situations where you run into somebody at a grocery store that you know you went to high school with, but you completely oh, forgot their fucking, fucking name. Oh, fucking God. <laughs> or I, I ran into someone a while back. It's probably, like, a year ago now. I ran into her, and she was like, Heather? And I'm like, Oh, yeah. hey. What's and she up? was like, did, like, do you remember me? And I was like, oh, fuck. It was devastating for me to have to be like, um, um. <laughs> like, Actually, I, I was in a car accident three years ago and I, I lost part of my memory. And it, it wasn't until days later that I actually did remember her. Yeah. I had to yeah. think about it for a long time. It's Someone horrible. just, like, comes up to you and, like, shakes your hand and you're like, uh... You know that you knew them at one point in your life, but yeah. high school is, like, 35 years ago at this point. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I was such a fucking idiot in high school, I don't... The, the minute I left high school, I forgot about high school. <laughs> oh, yeah, I definitely yeeted as much from my memory as yeah. I could. Yeah, you're like, uh, fuck all of this. This was traumatic as hell. It, it was basically that scene from Hacked Bay where it's like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, fuck you, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking wild. Um, but Milne, having grown up in a household that showered him and his brothers with praise, was unused to that criticism, which prompted him to make a decision. Noting that it was then that he, quote, turned my face to the lighter side of life and abandoned all serious work. Ooh, new goal for me. Right? That is my new standard. That's what's happening now. Nah, my my goal is always going to be that vine from Riff Raff where he says, and I quote, My main goal is to blow up and then act like I don't know nobody. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But for, 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 for him, it was to turn his face to the lighter side of life and abandon all serious work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. From Westminster, he headed to he headed to the University of Cambridge's Trinity College. It was there that he found his footing as a writer. He was the head editor for the Cambridge magazine Granta, and he collaborated with his brother Kenneth. And their art- their articles appeared over the initials AKM. Which makes his brother's death, like, that much more painful. Because, like, they were so close. That they were... Yeah. Every every bit of writing they did, they shared the credit together. Ouch. Tuberculosis did not fuck around. <laughs> no. No. Um, Milne's work came to the attention of the leading British humor magazine, Punch where he was to become a tr- contributor and later an assistant editor. Considered a talented cricket fielder, Milne played for two amateur teams that were largely composed of British writers. The one team, given that this is like, I would say, early 1900s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the one team is called the Ala Akbaris. Um, What? Yes. 
Why? I don't How? know. Like, I don't know. What? What is happening there? I don't know. The Alakberries. Uh, okay. Yeah, the other team was called the Authors Eleven. Okay. Yeah. What's crazy about this period in his life, and how I said, like, there's a lot of weird intertwining going on? Mm -hmm. (laughs) His teammates included fellow writers J.M. Barry, who created Peter Pan, and Arthur Conan Doyle, who created Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) Holy shit. Yeah, it's, it's like the British equivalent of Dr. Seuss and Stan Lee being in the same army battalion. Oh, that's wild. Could you imagine? But there no. was another there was another British writer in there that's like pretty popular only on that side of the pond mm-hmm. called P.G. Wodehouse. And mm-hmm. we'll have more on him later because he's kind of a fucking asshole. Okay. Uh, while working at Punch, Milne wrote 18 plays and three novels before writing his collection of children's poems when we were very young in 1924. By 1924, Milne could marvel that he was making $2,000 a year from amateur rights to now-forgotten plays like The Truth About Blades and The Dover Road, and much more from their long runs in London and New York. Which is good for 1924, because that was like right around the Great Depression. Yeah. So he's just out there making plays and shit that somehow made it to New York. Uh, Many of his stories were registered with the Copyright Office, some more than once, as different versions appeared in multiple publications. For example, the short story The Charcoal Burner is registered as an article in the Royal Magazine in July 1927, as well as the Des Moines Sunday Register in June 1928. Many of of his plays were registered with The Office as well, often noted with the acting edition in three acts, such as his play Mr. Pym Passes By 1921, Belinda and April Folly, 1922, or Business First in 1926, which definitely sounds like a cheesy 70s porn. Oh. Business First. Mm. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. Uh, some plays were registered with different names as they were produced in the United States. The Fourth Wall, played in America under the title of The Perfect Alibi, was registered with the office in October 1929. Milne also adapted the Kenneth Graham novel The Wind in the Willows for stage in 1930 under the title of Toad and Toad Hall and S. French, Incorporated. Um, this, re- this version was registered with the office in 1932. But let's reel it back a bit to 1913. With life going very well and the threat of war on the continent still seemingly far away, that war being World War I, Milne married Dorothy Daphne de Selincourt in 1930. Wow. I know. Dorothy Daphne de Selincourt. Interesting. Damn, Yvonne, that's a French-ass name. <laughs> <laughs> got a boyfriend? You got a big boyfriend? Is it getting you Mike and Ikes? Do you like Mike and Ikes? God. Classic. Super classic. Uh, It was to be a long and by all accounts happy and devoted marriage. Because they they did. They stayed married until he died. Like, this is not not a a slinky situation where he just fucks off and, like, leaves his wife and kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
But as war is wont to do, it came a knocking, and despite being a pacifist, in 1915, Milne served in World War I, enlisting as an officer in the Royal Warwickshire Regiment, and then working in the Royal Corps of Signals, and later, after a debilitating illness, the Royal Corps of Signals, uh, the battalion closest to him, the Royal Warwickshire Regiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the second lieutenant on probation. And then he finally got rank of second lieutenant on December 20th, 1915. On July July 7th, 1916, during the Battle of Somme, he was injured and headed back to England. After recuperating, he was recruited into the military intelligence to write propaganda articles for the M17B, which was responsible for foreign and domestic propaganda and press releases concerning army issues. Which is, it's weird to think that the creator of Winnie the Pooh also at one point created propaganda. Uh-oh. Yeah, not a good time. Not a good time. But he didn't steer in, like, the super racist direction Dr. Seuss did when he created propaganda. Well, that's good. Yeah, because Dr. Seuss's propaganda shit... Ugh. <laughs> Yeah. Not a, not no. a good time, not a good time. Pretty embarrassing. Yeah, uh, with the war's end, he was discharged on February fourteenth, nineteen nineteen. Happy Valentine's Day. Right. What a, what a what a good gift for his wife. I know. He gets to That's come back home. The best gift. Uh, they lived in a house on Mallard Street in Chelsea. In 1920, they were expecting a baby girl. When the baby was born a boy, he was named Christopher Robin Milne. Oh. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, A.A. Milne was an early screenwriter for the infant British film industry, writing four stories filmed in 1920 for the company Minerva Films, founded that same year by the actor Leslie Howard, whom he had met and when he starred in Mr. Pym Passes By, and story editor Adrian Brunel. These films were The Bump, starring Aubrey Smith, Twice Two, Five Pound Reward, and Bookworms. Yay, Poetry- Leslie Howard. <laughs> Leslie Howard. Hell yeah. Uh, poetry was next, and in 1924, Milne produced a book of children's poems called When We Were Very Young, which were illustrated by Punch staff cartoonist E.H. Shepard. Several of the verses were set to music by Harold Fraser Simpson, and the book begins with an introduction called Just Before We Begin, which in part tells readers to imagine for themselves who the narrator is, and that it might be Christopher Robin. Hmm. I'm going to read that just before we begin right here. Okay. At one time, but I have changed my mind now, I thought I was going to write a little note at the top of each of these poems, in the manner of Mr. William Wordsworth, who liked to tell his readers where he was staying, and which of his friends he was walking with, and what he was thinking about, when the idea of writing his poem came to him. You will find that some lines about a swan here, if you get as far as that, and I should have explained to you in the note that Christopher Robin, who feeds these swans in the mornings, has given them the name of Pooh. That is a very fine name for a swan, because if you call him and he doesn't come, which is a thing swans are good at, then you can pretend that you were just saying poo to show how little you wanted him. 
Well, I should have told you that there are six cows who come down to Pooh's Lake every afternoon to drink, and of course they say moo as they come. So I thought to myself one fine day, walking with my friend Christopher Robin, moo rhymes with poo. Surely surely there is a bit of poetry to be got out of that, right? Well, then I began to think about the swan on his lake. At first I thought about how lucky it was that his name was Pooh, and then I didn't think about that anymore. And then the poem came quite differently from what I intended. And all I can say for it now is that if it hadn't been for Christopher Robin, I shouldn't have written it, which indeed is all I can say for any of the others. So this is why these verses go about together, because they are all friends of Christopher Robin. And if I left one out because it was not quite like the one before it, then I should have to leave out the next one because it was not quite like the one after it, which would be disappointing for them. Then there is another thing, you may wonder. Sometimes, who is supposed to be saying the verses? Is it the author, that strange but uninteresting person, or is it Christopher Robin, or some other boy or girl, or nurse, or hobo? Which, okay, Uh just shit on the poor while you're there. (laughs) (laughs) If I had followed Mr. Wadsworth's plan, I could have explained this each time. As it is, you will have to decide for yourselves. If you are not quite sure, then it is probably a hobo. I don't know if you have ever met one, but he is one of these curious children who look four on Monday and eight on Tuesday and are really 28 on Saturday. You can never know whether it is the day when he can pronounce his R's or not. He had a great deal to do with these verses. In fact, you might say that this book is entirely the unaided work of Christopher Robin, Hobo, and Mr. Shepard who drew the pictures. They, they have said thank you politely to each other several times, and now they say it to you for taking them into your house. Thank you for thank you so much for asking us. We've come. It's like, okay, dude. Okay, then. I understand this is like early 20s Britain. Mm-hmm. But this is a children's book. Mm-hmm. For whom? <laughs> right? Yeah. This is like when they kidnapped prisoners in, like, the 90s and just played What is Love on repeat for, like, 72 hours straight. I'm such a fucking psychopath that I would be, like, turnt the fuck up the entire time for that. Oh, yeah, for sure. fuck yeah, I love this song. You want to play it 900 times in a row? I already (laughs) do that every day, so bring it. What is love? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. They'd be like, we we cannot break her. (laughs) I, I don't. We have to send her back. We have to harness her energy. We turned it off and she asked us to play it again. We turned it off and for some reason it came out of her mouth perfectly yeah. with the music She's... and everything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. She's absorbing the hat away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, now I want to listen to that song. <laughs> it's just, it fucking slaps. It's such a good song. You know what? I will say this. The soundtrack for A Night at the Roxbury Oh yeah. Slaps so fucking hard. That's another trash movie that's really entertaining. Yeah. That's one of those movies that you only watch in a hotel room on USA. Oh yeah, yeah, but in that hotel room you're like, oh. This is the the, best movie. Why why have I ever watched any other movie? (laughs) Why is this exactly what I needed right now? (laughs) Yeah, you're like Oh, son of a bitch. You know what another movie is like that? Dogma. 
Oh, I've only seen it one time in my whole life, and I was pretty young, so I should see it again. You should. You should. But it is another one of those, like, hotel movies. It's very odd. It's a very odd film. There's hotel movies, and there's Payless Shoe Store songs. (laughs) Which we've talked about before, I think not on air. Uh Oh. I feel like like, What is Love is kind of a little bit of a Payless No, no, no. Payless songs are more like, uh, Cause you're everywhere to no, me. I hate that song. I hate yeah, it. that's a Payless Shoe Store song. Fuck. First of all, if I ever die and go to hell and end up at Payless <laughs> and hear that song, <laughs> uh, I don't know how, but I'm leaving. No, you know what song plays in hell? What? This song right here, okay? Now, you'll think to yourself, oh. Okay, this song's not actually too bad. But, like, by song, by time two or three, you're ready to fucking rip your own flesh off. Okay. Here we go. Oh, fuck that song. No, no. Not even two or three. Already I hate it. Get it away from me. <laughs> I fucking hate that song. You wake up in hell, and you're no. like... No! Oh, okay. I wake up in hell... I'm in bed with Drake. <laughs> this song is playing. And now it's time to go to Payless. Yeah. Kill me. No. Oh my god. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh man, you know I scared I scared the shit out of myself. That was too much. <laughs> you know what else is another Payless song, but actually slaps? Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's 100%, yeah. 100% a song you only hear at Payless Shoes Place. <laughs> but you're like, oh. And I you're like, oh. Know. I think I should go song. home and put this on a playlist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or if you're me, just make a playlist in the middle of a Payless Shoe Store. Where are the cardigans? What ever <laughs> happened to them? I'm huh. going to go look it up. And then you get yeah. home and you never think about you, it. Again. Oh, yeah, you forget completely. Yeah. God. Um, the 38th poem in the book, <laughs> Teddy Bear, that originally appeared in Punch magazine in February 1924, was the first appearance of the famous character Winnie the Pooh, first named Mr. Edward Bear by Christopher Robin. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and it's just, a, it's just a bear about a bear. It's just a poem about the bear. Uh, it's not, it's not really, like, anything groundbreaking. It's just, like, admiration for the bear. Talking, talking specifically about how fat the bear is and how happy he is that he is fat. Uh-huh. Because, you know, that's just one of the main characteristics of Winnie the Pooh is he's fucking chubby. He's kind of a body positive icon. He honestly is. You know what? He doesn't wear any pants. No pants. You can go fuck yourself. Tank top. It's a crop top. Yeah. And, Uh, you know, like, love me or get the fuck out of my way. Winnie the Pooh dresses like a Reno 911 character. That's true. Right? Yeah. Like, you almost expect him to be voiced by Nick Swardson. Uh, No. It's just new boot goofing. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Just goofing. 
Snoopy Goofy. Um, in one of the illustrations of Teddy Bear, Winnie the Pooh is shown wearing a shirt which was later colored red when reproduced on a recording produced by Stephen Schlesinger. This has become the standard appearance of Winnie the Pooh in all adaptations. Mm-hmm. Iconic. Oh, yeah. Um, in 1925, A.A. A. Milne bought a country home in Crotchford Farm in Hartfield, East Sussex. Um, and on Christmas Eve that year, Pooh first appeared in the London Evening News in a story called The Wrong Sort of Bees. Which okay. is, is basically, about- is basically the, like, the famous Winnie the Pooh one where he's takes a balloon and floats up high and there's bees up there. Okay. Like, if you've seen one Winnie the Pooh thing, that's it, you know? Yeah. I vaguely remember it. Mm-hmm. Basically, like, the takeaway is Winnie the Pooh thinking, the only reason for being a bee that I know of is making honey, and the only reason for making honey is so I can eat it. Which, oh. you know, relatable. Yeah. Can we get some lavender honey? Mm. No, I never have. Oh my god. But that sounds like something I would love. It's so good. It's very relaxing. <laughs> okay. What's funny about relaxing, Goofy? I, I, I don't know. I just never thought of, like, honey being relaxing. I don't I don't know. What would you classify honey as? Sweet? Mad Max Fury Road? <laughs> I don't know. You're not going to a fucking heavy metal concert like, Give me some of that fucking honey! Okay, well, I don't see why not. Mm. Hard to I put honey in something. I put honey in honey. something weird recently. Oh. What was it? The drink that I made. I made a weird drink, and I put honey in it. It had, like, whiskey and shit. Was it for the Candy Lady of Terrell, Texas? I don't remember. It was, yeah, because I was tr- I went through... I was trying to make drinks based on the episodes for a minute, and I'm like, this is really hard, and I don't have time. Yeah. And it stressed me the fuck out, so I was like, alright, no. But yeah, it might have been, actually. Hmm. Makes sense. Um, this publication was the first time that the bear was referred to as Winnie the Pooh. Because, you know, originally, the bear's name was Edward. Which, it's hard to launch a fucking empire of children's media under Edward the Bear. Mm-hmm. Um, but Winnie the Pooh was renamed after a Canadian black bear. And here's where we meet Harry Colburn, a Canadian lieutenant and veterinarian surgeon. Um, born in England, Colburn always loved animals, and at the age of 18, he immigrated to Canada to study veterinary surgery. Uh, after graduating from the Ontario Veterinary College in 1911, he decided to settle in a prairie boomtown of Winnipeg. He took a job with the Department of Agriculture, and this was right on the brink of the First World War. Days after the declaration of World War I, the young officer was among the first to enlist and leave Winnipeg for the military training camp in Quebec. It was on this trip to Quebec that they stopped in the lumber town of White River in Ontario on August 24, 1914. They were in dire need of fresh air and a good stretch after a long day of being on the train. 
As Lieutenant Harry Colburn went down the steps of the rail car onto the station's platform, something caught his eye. He saw a black bear cub, who was no more than seven months old, attached to a leash that was held by a trapper. Apparently, the bear's owner was hoping to attract the attention of a willing buyer, and it tur- as it turns out, the 27-year-old, 27-year-old Canadian soldier was just the customer the bear trapper was looking for. As he held the little bear in his arms, the trapper explained that he had actually killed the cub's mother, but he just couldn't handle doing the same to the now-orphan cub. Mm-hmm. Which is like... Maybe not the best time to have morals after you kill somebody's mom. <laughs> You're like, you know what? I killed your fucking mom, but uh, I'm just gonna make you an orphan now. Goody. That's great. It just basically fucking Voldemorted the fucking bear. Well, I don't like that. Yeah. I don't which, like it at all. Which opens up the idea of, like, a bear Severus Snape. <laughs> okay, we're not gonna go down this road. <laughs> I'm sure there's a fanfic that does it for us. Uh, uh, fan fiction is a dangerous, slippery slope. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Harry Colburn ended up buying the bear for $20 cash. Hmm. As you do. Morgan. A bargain. As you fucking do. Okay, fucking Joe Exotic. <laughs> oh, man. God. But Joe Exotic of bears. He had bears, didn't he? He did. I think what he a did. Fucking, what a wild guy. I hate that dude. Big fucking piece of shit. I'm sick of seeing all the memes, like, praising him and giving him attention. Like, stop it. Yeah. Stop it. Like, nobody in that situation is good. <laughs> None of them are good. None of them. Except Stop Saf. choosing sides. They're all trash. Get over it. Yeah, Carol Bastons killed her fucking husband. We get Which it. I mean, I don't really care about that guy. Yeah, no, he was he was definitely groomed her. Yeah, that guy was a monster. Like, nobody is, like I said, nobody is good in that situation. Yeah, she murdered him. Did he have it coming? Probably. Yeah. Probably. But she's also, like, exploiting her workers and not paying them and making them, you know, work for free based mm-hmm. on, like, it's a privilege to be here. She's like, I don't yeah. even know their names. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe, I, you're a yeah. psycho. I don't even get to know them until they've been here five years. Right. Like, what okay. the fuck is wrong with you, dude? Okay. She, mm. I'm going to wear why, my flower crown. I'm that's a why, goddess. Like, if it ever came down to the point where she had to rely on somebody's like testimony on her behalf she fucked because nobody's gonna stand up for this bitch nope even if i had a boss that i liked i'm not gonna be like you know what yeah let me lie for you let alone somebody that's not even gonna get to know my name until i've been there five years right but you know she's uh i mean i'm no i'm not gonna make that comparison but she these people are brainwashed I mean, yeah. I mean, she's a. It's like she's a cult leader. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna. I was gonna say it's a little bit like Doc Antle. You know, they're they're oh, not. Doc, they're, Doc yeah, Antle needs to be he's this, worse. This needs to be a Law and Order SVU episode with Doc Antle. It needs to be a whole season. Because honestly, Doc Antle is 
Talk about I mean, a fucking pedophile. I think he's the worst tied with that other dude. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, they're all fucking awful, but you know what I mean. Doc Angle's like, oh, how old are you? Hmm. Yeah, he's gross. Yeah, he's... not a good time. I hate that guy. Uh, what that just goes to show you a lesson that I learned a long time ago still stands true that if you have a fucking goatee something is wrong with you. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're dying it blonde and you're like oh. in your sixties. Yeah, like, stop, dude. What the fuck is wrong with you? The only person who's allowed to do that is Guy Fieri. Yep. Yeah. If you're not Guy Fieri, fuck off. That's basically it. If you're not Guy Fieri. I don't even know what to fucking tell you. Yeah. You get sacrificed. If you're, if you're not Guy time. Fieri, you're a pedophile. Wow. That's what that's, I, that's what I said. That's, I said that's what the I math, said. That's the math problem we got to. Yep. Yeah. Wow. It's a bold statement. But Sorry. I just true. speak the truth. Yep. There goes another t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and it's completely out of context, too. It just says, yeah. if you're not Guy Fieri, you're a pedophile. <laughs> you're a pedophile. <laughs> Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, that makes everyone ever. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. That's not what I meant, but you know. You yeah. can't fit so many words on a t shirt, so <laughs> That's that's when that's when you put on the back. Not everybody, specifically Doc Antle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but especially Doc Antle. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Um, okay, so what's this podcast about? Buying a bear for $20. Buying a bear, got it. Okay, we're back buying on track. Buying a bear for $20. Uh, he then took his new friend to the train to a shocked and confused group of soldiers. I bet. <laughs> he's like, he's dude, like, I bought a bear. I bought a bear, eh? Bought a bear, dude. Hey, look at the fucking bear I bought, eh? <laughs> <sighs> if you got anything to say about this bear, I'm going to give you summer teeth. Summer here, uh-huh. summer there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, Holberg decided to name the bear Winnipeg in tribute to the town that he had been living for so long. Ah. Ah. Uh-huh. Winnipeg, <laughs> Winnipeg quickly became Winnie during the weeks Colburn spent training with other members of the Canadian Expeditionary Force in Quebec. And Winnie became his trusted companion. Right. When Harry Colburn was training himself, he was also training the bear. And he would reward her with apples and a mixture of condensed milk and corn syrup. Uh, which... Doesn't sound like bear food, but okay. <laughs> it's like, no wonder your fucking bear is so fat. You're feeding it yeah, fucking it's like apples, sugar milk, milk right. and corn syrup. Oops. Um, Whitney really took a liking to Harry, who slept under his coat and followed him around like a little puppy. Oh, I know. When she wasn't climbing tent poles or playing with Harry, the young bear would pose for photos with soldiers and became the troop's mascot. Harry was able to bring her everywhere. He even took Minnie aboard the military transport SS Manitow when they sailed to England for additional training. I can't believe they're like, you know, dude in charge. I don't know. Military, you know. Let's just say dude in charge. Yeah, the dude in charge is just like, oh, that's just their bear. It just hangs out with them all the time. <laughs> like, it's just totally cool with this, you know, little... But also at the same time, it's bear. like, if you show up to a war and with one a bear, of your fucking yeah. comrades is a bear, 
the other side is going to be like, oh, oh, fuck no. Retreat. Yeah. Is that a whole ass bear? Is that a Uh, bear? Like, dude, we're not going over there. Those dudes have a bear. (laughs) They have a whole fucking bear. (laughs) Yeah. What is the fucking golden compass? You got a fucking polar bear with a skull helmet? Mm -mm. It's Uh, a bear with a gun. Oh my god. Holy shit. Yeah. Honestly, I, I, I'd i be surprised if we make it out of 2020 without a horde of bears with guns. Yep, that's probably the next wave of the apocalypse, honestly. You've heard, of murder, you've heard of murder hornets. Wait till you hear <laughs> of bears with guns. Now get ready for... Bears with guns. Bears with guns. God, fuck that shit. Mm-mm. Polar bears with pistols. Right? Grizzly bears with gats. Black bears with berettas. Oh. Don't you give me that fucking exasperated side, goddamn You have not... You've been roasting my jokes so bad lately, I, I get to have one exasperated sigh. Okay, that's fair. When I make a stupid joke at you, you don't just make an exasperated sigh. You send some fucking YouTube video or some gif or something that's like <laughs> the most disappointed reaction I've ever seen. Yeah, that's fair. Disappointed! Yeah. Alright. Okay. Um, okay. However, the trenches in France were no place for a man, let alone a bear, so Harry did what he had to do. He brought her to the zoo. On December 9th, 1914, Colburn brought his dearest pet bear to her new home at the London Zoo. The zoo had just opened a new bear habitat that looked like a real mountain landscape. And before an emotional goodbye and a genuine bear hug, the soldier promised to bring Winnie back to Canada once the war was over. Which he was hoping would be in a matter of months. But, as we know, there was no quick end to World War I, and Harry Colburn witnessed the war's horrible bloodshed firsthand. On one occasion, nearly avoiding being hit by a shell that had exploded just a few yards away from him. Which has to be fucking terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, At this time, horses were still critical military assets, and so Colburn and other members of the Royal Canadian Army um, provided a vital service. They protected the horses from disease and helped them heal from bullet and shrapnel. So just to have Canada just has a fucking vet unit. Yeah, really. Which is the most Canadian thing I've ever heard. Yeah, it is. Right? But good on them. <laughs> yeah, I I wish there was more of that going around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, whenever he received a much-deserved uh, leave, from, leave from the front, Colburn went to visit Winnie in her new home. By that point, she had grown into a full-grown full bear, but Winnie was still gentle as ever. And the zookeeper, Ernest Scales, later told the London newspaper in 1933 that Winnie was quite the tamest and best-behaved bear we had ever seen at the zoo. Winnie was so docile that children were even allowed to go into the bear pit to ride on her back. Which... Okay. Oof. Feels very close to a dips out for Harambe situation. Oh boy. 
which you know we're we're fucking uh closing closing in on the anniversary there. Oh man. May twenty eighth will be four years. Oh my god, really? Four? I was gonna guess two. Yeah, no, four years. Fuck. Dicks out. Um, okay. After November 1918, weeks after the gunshots finally fell silent, Colburn once again reunited with Winnie. But unfortunately, despite the promise he made of bringing her back to Canada, the soldier wasn't able to. He was aware by now that his pet no longer belonged to him, but rather to the zoo and to the people of London. And after saying his final and emotional goodbye to Winnie, Harry returned to Winnipeg, where he kept working for the Department of Agriculture. He went on to open a small animal hospital in the back of his house. He died, he died in 1947 at the age of 60, and there are statues to him and Winnie in Winnipeg and London Zoo, and now a plaque on the Salisbury Plain. Uh, his hopes and fears are captured in four leather-bound diaries that are the basis of children's books Winnie's Great War by Lindsay Maddock, his great-granddaughter. She has a quote that says, Every so often you have a true story, every bit as magical as the most beautiful fiction. The joy has been telling the origin of Winnie the Pooh, one of the most beloved children's characters of all time. There is magic in knowing Pooh grew out of my pet... Uh-oh. And Pooh grew out of a pet my great-grandfather took on an amazing journey. It's just like, it, it really is fucking wild. Like, that yeah. does sound like something that was completely fucking made up. Oh, it does. Oh, hey, I bought this bear for $20. It's going to go on a bunch of wartime adventures with me. You're like, oh, okay. Is this a TV show? I, what is this? Uh, is this a fucking podcast? No, it really happened. Yeah. Um... This is where a little boy by the name of Christopher Robin comes into the picture. Zoos tend to be a family attraction, one that attracts many children. And among the children of London who begged their parents to take them to the zoo was a little boy named Christopher Robin. Christopher would constantly beg A.A. Milne to take him to the zoo to see the bear that he loved so much. And Milne would take his son to visit Wendy and watch as his son would feed her spoonfuls of condensed milk in between big and uh, furry hugs. Which is like, stop feeding this bear condensed milk. What the fuck is wrong with you people? He's gonna die of a fucking heart attack. Um, Christopher grew so fond of the London Zoo's main attraction that he changed his own teddy bear's name from Edward to Winnie. Which, there you go, there's Winnie the fucking Pooh. There you go. Um, the book Winnie the Pooh was published in 1926, followed by The House at Pooh Corner in 1928. A second collection of nursery rhymes... Now We Are Six was published in 1927, and all three books were illustrated by E.H. Shepard. Because Shepard drew the bear for when we were very young, Pooh himself was not based on Christopher Robin's Winnie the Pooh doll, but on Shepard's son, Teddy Bear, named Growler. Mm-hmm. Milne insisted Shepard draw the rest of the characters for Winnie the Pooh from Christopher Robin's toys, but Pooh remained based on Growler. So the teddy bear that Christopher Robin loved didn't even isn't even like the cartoon basis for Winnie the Pooh. Um, unlike Growler, who was eventually destroyed by a dog, and Roo, who went missing in an apple orchard in the 1930s, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Eeyore, Tigger, and Kanga are still around, and they've been on display at the New York Public Library since 1987 
where 750,000 people visit them every year. Oh. Right? Yeah. Very nice. Uh, the fictional 100-acre wood of the Pooh stories derives from 500-acre wood in Ashdown Forest in East Sussex, southeast England, where the Pooh stories were set. Mill lived on the northern edge of the forest at Trotchford Farm and took his son walking there. E.H. Shepard drew on the landscape of Ashdown Forest as inspiration for many of the illustrations he provided for the Pooh books. And the adult Christopher Robin commented, Pooh's Forest and Ashdown Forest are identical. Popular tourist locations at the Ashdown Forest include Galleon's Lap, The Enchanted Place, The Heffalump Trap, and Lone Pine, Eeyore's Sad and Gloomy Place, and the Wooden Pooh Bridge. Okay. Yeah, so like they've made monuments now. Like there, Someone made, you know, Eeyore's little like stick tent. Uh-huh. That's like set up there. It's, it's really nice. Um, the success of his children's books was to become a source of considerable annoyance to Milne, whose self-avowed aim was to write whatever he pleased for, and who had, until then, found a ready audience for each change of direction. He had freed pre-war punch from its ponderous uh, goings-ons, and he had made a considerable reputation as a playwright, like his idol J.M. Barry, on both sides of the Atlantic. So this is like a really big time for fucking uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, J.M. Barry, and A.A. A. Milne. It's like fucking weird to think that these people were friends and then they all went on to create like some of the biggest fucking franchises in history. Mm-hmm. Um, he had produced a witty piece of detective writing in the Red House Mystery, but once Milne had in his own words, said goodbye to all of that in 70,000 words, which is, like, the length of all four Winnie the Pooh books put together, the 70,000 words. Because wow. once that happened, like, fuck whatever else you were trying to do. Yeah. Like, same thing happened to Dr. Seuss. He did not want to write children's books. But then it's like, once you write that one, that's fucking it, bud. Yeah. Really? That's like anything that J.K. Rowling tried to do post-Harry Potter just fucking flopped. I didn't even know she tried to do anything post-Harry Potter. Yeah, she did it She did it under different pen names. Okay, and, well that was stupid. But, that, but people knew who it was, and even with people knowing who it was, they fucking flopped. Well then, if people knew who it was, why did she use a pen name? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, she was trying to step away from Harry Potter, I guess, but it's like, you can't write a franchise that fucking huge and then be like, okay, read something else I wrote. I don't know. But she is problematic in and of herself, so... Oh yeah, she's trash, so it's it's fine. Yeah, it's not a good time for her. She's fucking a garbage human being. Mm -hmm. Unfortunate. I know. Unfortunate. Um... Milne was a frequent contributor to the Royal Literary Fund, the Children's Country Holiday Fund, and the Society of Authors Fund. He also took great care to save enough money to support both his and Ken's family over time. So, like, after his brother died, he he made sure they were still well off. Which probably has to piss his brother that he doesn't like off. <laughs> like, wow, you're just going to completely take care of the other brother. But fuck me, right? Yeah. Um, let's 
1940, when tensions were building strongly in Europe regarding Hitler, the Milnes moved permanently to Crotchford Farm, away from the hubbub of the city, and Alan and Daphne became the closest they had ever been. At this point, Christopher was already, already a young man. During World War II, Milne was captain of the British Home Guard in Hartford in Forest Row, insisting on being plain Mr. Milne to the members of his platoon. He continued to write during the war, and he became one of the most prominent critics of English comic writer P.G. Wodehouse, who we talked about earlier, who I right. said is an asshole. Um, yeah. P.G. Wodehouse was captured at his country home in France by the Nazis and imprisoned for a year. While he was imprisoned, he made radio broadcasts about his internment, which were broadcasted from Berlin. And although the lighthearted broadcasts made fun of the Germans, Milne accused Wodehouse of committing an act of near treason by cooperating with his country's enemy. So they're like, hey, I want you, you're a funny fucking guy. Why don't you go ahead and make a fucking series about this? And he's like, okay, Nazis, I'll do that. Uh So Milne was like, fuck this guy. And he was not like shy about the fact that he did not like this fucking dude. But P.G. Wodehouse went on to create, uh, parodies of Christopher Robin poems later in his life. Which is just like, okay, dude, attack this dude's kid. You're already on this dude's shit list. Go for his child. That's smart. Oh, boy. Another reason Milne stopped writing children's books, and especially Winnie the Pooh books, was that he felt amazement and disgust over over the fame his son was exposed to, and said that, I feel that the legal Christopher Robin has already had more publicity than I ever wanted for him. I do not want C.R. Milne to ever wish that his name were Charles Robert. Because this, and we'll get there, because this really fucked up Christopher Robin's entire fucking life. It's like not a good time for him. Um, A.A. Milne retired to Crotchford Farm in 1952 after a stroke and brain surgery left him just basically a fucking vegetable. And although he was only expected to live another six weeks, he he survived for three more years. Sadly, Christopher, who had grown distant from his parents, only visited very occasionally, and A.A. Milne died quietly on January 31st, 1956. A memorial service was held for him on February 10th, 1956, at All Hallows by the Tower in London. This service was the last time Christopher Robin saw his mother, though she lived another 15 years. So, we're going to round this out by talking a little bit about Christopher Robin. Okay. Christopher Robbins suggests that his mother, Daphne, was more concerned with her socialite duties than caring for her own son. Oof. Yikes. Because you gotta imagine, this is like a well-to-do woman in the 1920s. She's out there getting blazed on fucking absinthe. She's fucking doing her flappiness, you know? Flappiness? Flappiness, yeah. She's out there flapping. (laughs) Flapping it up. She's out there straight flapping. She's doing the Charleston from noon till night. <laughs> She's out there fucking like old sport with Great Gatsby. <laughs> She's doing the goddamn thing. Yeah, got it. She's out there with a fucking billboard that got glasses on it. It's an allegory for watching her sins. Oh, She's yeah. doing the damn thing. She's looking at the green light from across the lake. <laughs> She's getting shot in her own fucking pool. <laughs> 
And that's when we just described the entire plot of The Great Gatsby for no reason at all. She's watching somebody got hit by a fucking car. <laughs> She's having an affair. Her husband's having an affair. They're both mad about the other's affair. <laughs> there's a lot of old sports in it. Yeah, there's an old sport every other fucking sentence. <laughs> old sport. She's got some feathers in her fucking headband. Um, so Daphne over here just flapping it around uh, almost always left her son in the sole company of his nanny Olive who affectionately called Christopher Robin Mew okay I don't know it's some French thing who the fuck knows I don't know yeah Um, however that was not necessarily the full story when a child is small, and it is his mother who is mainly responsible for the way he is brought up, so it was with me. I belonged in those days to my mother rather than my father, Christopher Robin writes in his biography, The Enchanted Place. In real life, Daphne might deserve more credit than she is given for helping to bring the world of Pooh to life. It was my mother who used to come and play in the nursery with me and tell him about the things I thought and did. It was she who provided most of the material for my father's books, Christopher Robin said, according to the New York Times. That said, Christopher Robin's relationship with his mother was, by all accounts, not a functional one. After his father died in 1956, Christopher Robin saw his mother just once in the remaining 15 years of her life. Um, And the real Christopher Robin told the journalist in 1970s that he wasn't angry with his parents, and he had said goodbye to them a long time ago. Christopher Robin, who died on April 20th, 1996, at the age of 75, did not always hate being associated with Winnie the Pooh stories. Initially, as a young boy, he enjoyed the novelty of being famous. It was exciting and made me feel grand and important, he told the same journalist in the 1970s. What sucks is that he was just relentlessly bullied by classmates. That's horrible. Because, I mean, if we've learned anything, it's that kids are dicks. Oh, fuck yeah. But that's so, that's so like, indicative of the times, right? Because now if your child was famous, everybody would be nice to him. Yep. Like, if Macaulay Culkin would have been famous, like, 15 years later as a child star, he probably wouldn't have had that fucked up period. Definitely. I went to school with a girl who, this is so Orange County, um... Mm -hmm. Was literally had her own reality TV show. Oh my god. And there was a camera crew that followed her around everywhere from class to class and shit. She was like a race car driver's daughter or some shit. Obviously, oh, everyone was shit. kissing her ass like crazy. Oh, of course. Yeah. Obnoxious. You have to imagine, like, being one of these girls in, like, my super sweet 16. When people mm-hmm. realize what's happening, they all of a sudden want to be your friend. Oh, uh, yeah. Absolutely. You're like, MTV is throwing you a party? I need one of those swag bags. Let me come to your fucking party. Yeah. I went to school with a lot of, like, kids of famous people and stuff like that, so. And they were assholes, those kids. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I wanted nothing to do with them. I'm like, I don't give a fuck who you are. I don't give a fuck. You're a dick. Never speak to me. They're the real world equivalent of Draco Malfoy. I'm like, do you know who my father is? Exactly. Wait till my father hears about this. Exactly that. It's. It's like, I don't give a fuck if your dad is Danny Bonaducci. Get the fuck out of here. That's 
the person that you went with for that? Well, yeah, because, like, even, like, shit D-level celebrities, their kids probably think they're the shit. Oh, of course they do. Of course they do. So that's so that's why I went with Danny Badaducci. <laughs> you know, oh, like, man. okay, He dude, was everywhere there it. in the... In the early 2000s to the mid-2000s. He really, he really was. We could not Which get away from him. Props to him, you know? I guess. Yeah. Danny Bonaducci is just like Boomer Danny Tamborelli. <laughs> oh my god. Am I wrong? Oh my god. Am I wrong? No! And then Danny Tamborelli was in a band... And, like, oh, my yeah. friends who were in a band, like, played with his band. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I know. So weird. Everything's so weird. Hmm. Everything is so fucking weird. I know. Um, another quote from him, from his book, The Enchanted Place, is that, For it was then that began my love-hate relationship with my fictional namesake that has continued to this day. At home, I still liked Christopher Robin. Indeed, felt at times quite proud that I shared his name, and I was able to bask in some of his glory. At school, however, I began to dislike him, and I found myself disliking him more and more the older I got. Was my father aware of this? I don't know. Certainly Milne didn't seem aware of the negative impact his books had on his son. The publicity that came to be attached to Christopher Robin never seemed to affect us personally, but to concern either a character in a book or by a horse that we had hoped at one time would win the Derby. Milne wrote in his 1939 autobiography. Later in life, Christopher Robin seemed to be able to reflect on what frustrated him about the books. When I was three, my father was three. When I was six, he was six. He needed me to escape from being 50, he wrote at the end of The Enchanted Place. Some people are good with children. Others are not. It is a gift. You either have it or you don't. My father didn't. Oh. Yikes. Well then. Yikes. Uh, he said that in an interview with The Telegraph's Giles Brandreth in 1996. Okay. He later told Brandreth that he felt his father had got where he was by climbing on my infant shoulders. That he had flitched... Fil- fil- that he had filched... <laughs> Shut up! That he, had, <laughs> that he had filched from me my good name, and he had left me with nothing but empty fame of being his son. Yikes. Oof, man. That guy has got, he's scorching, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dragged to hell. Yeah, yeah. It was a dark time for Christopher, who felt like a man with a household name, but no role in life. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meeting his future wife in 1948 helped revive his spirits, but it also caused further strain on his relationship with his parents. Uh And would you like to know why? I'm dying to know why. His wife, Leslie, uh-huh. was his cousin on his mother's oh, side. Oh, oh, oopsie. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Yeah. But Leslie's father and Christopher's mother had been estranged for decades. That helps a little bit. No, it doesn't. What the fuck? What? A little? Ew. What? I'm not defending it. I want to make a t-shirt design that says Heather stands incest. Shut up. We're not not going down that road. If we start making... Oh, well, that helps a little bit. Well, it's in their situation. Wow. I didn't know you were from Alabama. I thought you were from California. (laughs) 
I don't know how you got from point A to B, but you need to calm down. How did I get there? You booked me a ticket on a fucking ferry. No. No. Okay. It's okay. (sighs) It's alright. Eventually, he and Leslie married and moved to Devon to open a bookstore. Christopher discovered his own skill as a writer and published three volumes of an autobiography, which also helped him come to terms with his own identity. But sadly, he rarely saw his father in the years leading up to his death in 1956. His mother died 15 years later, but as we know, he only saw her one time in that period. Mm -hmm. While he spent most of his life refusing to benefit from the profits of Winnie the Pooh, he eventually did accept the money to help take care of his daughter Claire, who had special needs. Oh, I I wonder oh, if it's no. from the fact that you guys were fucking cousins. <laughs> hmm. I had to accept it for Claire's sake, he said. The income generated from the books has been enormous, and in 1966, Walt Disney purchased the characters for a 40-year licensing deal. But more on, more on that next episode. Uh-huh. Christopher Robin found peace with his father and their rocky relationship with Winnie the Pooh, stating... Believe it or not, I can look at those four books without flinching. I'm quite fond of them, really. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Walt Disney was also quite fond of the books, but like I said, that's for next week's episode. Because that's where we're ending. Okay. There's still a shitload to go with Winnie the fucking Pooh. We're already at like an hour and a half. I know. So... This is a very rare episode that does not have a fact in the box, because I'm just going to have a very large fact in the box for the next one. Okay. Uh, but if you like what you heard and learned, you can do the following. You can follow us on all social media. We are at Toys R Us Podcast across the board. You can leave a five-star rating and review anywhere that you can, because it definitely helps, whether or not you think it does. Or you can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash Toys R Us podcast. Until next time, remember that you might not have to use your lifetime earnings from Winnie the Pooh for your special needs daughter if you didn't have sex with your cousin. And remember, you will always be a Toys R Us kid. I'd like to take the time out to thank our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. So thank you to Jeremy, Jessica, Nicole, Amy, Nicole, Nicole, John, Juanita, Sabrina, Shannon, and Steven. Thanks a bunch, guys. They're in. They're out. They're all about. They're far. They're near. They're gone. They're here. They're quick.
can slick, they're insincere. Beware, 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 beware. A heffalump or woozle is very confusal. A heffalump or woozle's very sly. 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 They come in ones and twosles, but if they so twosles, before your eyes you'll see them multiply. Plum. Plum. They're extraordinary, so better be wary, because they come in every shape and size. Give honeys what you covet, you'll find that they love it, because they guzzle up the thing you prize. They're green, they're blue, they're pink, they're white, they're round, they're square, they're a terrible sight. They tie themselves in horrible knots. They come in stripes. polka dots. Beware, 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 beware. Slick, they're insincere. Beware. 